correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Good evening. And we get to talk about something really cool today. But before we get into that, let's talk about something just as cool. That would be Prime by Cortex. Yes, Prime by Cortex is another show here on the D20 Radio Network hosted by Kirby and JT, and it's all about Cortex Prime, as you might deduce from the the, uh, title. They talk with creators, they talk about the uh, community content program, talk with devs, do some actual plays, basically anything and everything Cortex Prime. So uh, if you're interested in that, you can check it out at pbcpod.podbean.com, or we'll throw a link in the show notes. Yeah, and... uh... Why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest this week, Steve, and, and we'll get right into things. Okay. Well, we have actually, uh, one of our guests is back for the third time, mm-hmm. um, which I believe actually makes you an honorary Steve, is the official... <laughs> I think that's uh, the ruling. <laughs> the, the, the rule. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> tonight, we're going to be joined by uh, Opti and one of his team from Fragging Unicorns, uh, Ryan, who are here to talk about... What, when you all get to hear this, I believe will be the freshly gone live Kickstarter for their upcoming RPG Subversion. Yay. About time. (laughs) Yeah, it's a long time coming. I think actually we might have mentioned this way back when we were on talking about Gangs of the Undercity. We might have dropped that we were working on this like like three years ago. I think I'm, you did actually when I had you on to talk about Shadowrun. Yeah, you you definitely talked about it when you had when you when we had you on to talk Shadowrun, and I was like so excited for when you guys were going to be able to talk about this officially because we've known about it sort of unofficially for a while now, and I'm like, oh, I can't, this is going to be so neat, and then <laughs> here we are today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So excited to talk about this, man. That feels like it feels like a very long time ago, but oh, it does. COVID COVID time, right? It all just sort of. It feels like simultaneously yesterday and 10 years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're not wrong. Uh, so thanks for having us on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you. Pleasure to be on. Not a problem. No, our pleasure. So you mentioned Gangs of the Undercity, which is your miniature skirmish game set in this place called Neo Babylon, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is the same setting, just RPG ified? Um, well, kind of, yes. Um, our Gangs of the Undercity was, was our first game that we did. Um, and we launched that a couple years ago. We're, we're still, we have out of the 50 models, and this is just an aside, out of the 50 models that we ended up creating because of the Kickstarter for Gangs of the Undercity, all of them have been made and all of them have, have been sent except for one model which the manufacturer keeps telling me is on its way. It's on its way. It's on its way. And if we could just get that one model in, then we could just be done with gangs of the other city fulfillment. And, and my life would be, would be happier. Cause like I go to sleep at night and that's all I think about. is that one little model that I haven't fulfilled. Anyway, that's, Tossing that's uh, night. besides the point. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, uh, Gangs of the Undercity is set in the world of Neo-Babylon in the Undercity of Neo-Babylon. Subversion expands uh, that world quite a bit, and the default setting for Subversion is actually the entirety of Neo-Babylon. So not just the Undercity, but the wider world that uh, both games are set in. Yeah, and while the focus is on Neo-Babylon, we also have lots of hooks for people who want to go anywhere in the hill world. So we have plans for going on adventures far afield, some underwater archaeology in the works, and far So lots of fun stories. Big world instead of just the underside of one admittedly big city. <laughs> well, it's always nice to have more to go deal with. So for anyone who's not familiar either with the miniatures game or, uh, well, really just the miniatures game. Um, what's kind of a surface level pitch on this? Because, you know, we've had conversations. I'm on your Discord. I kind of have a general feeling of it, but not everyone is as nebby as I am. Yeah, the um, the sort of 10-second pitch for Subversion is that you play as an envoy, uh, which is sort of representative problem solver, you know, um, person who serves and saves your community using technology magic and direct action to serve and save your community in the cyberpunk fantasy city of neo babylon so it's uh, neo babylon is is the is the world it's sort of near future but it's set in a world that has always had to grapple with magic and uh who who has it and who doesn't uh and neo babylon has influences from ancient mesopotamia uh, just like that's the sort of world building that we've done is that Babylon was the first to use magic on a large scale and had an outsized effect on history. And so, yeah, everything is sort of colored with you know, with Babylonian culture and religion and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think the world kind of like in time is set at this sort of really interesting point in history where things are sort of transitioning from this old world that was sort of governed by like a handful of people who happened to have magical talent and could sort of control the world that way. Uh, but now the sort of the rise of technology that's sort of uh, making all of these wonderful things pop possible, but with uh, large soulless corporations and everything else you'd expect from sort of the cyberpunk future. Or our own, depending on how you look at this. <laughs> Everything you'd expect from a cyberpunk present. <laughs> well, um, let's see. Does does this tell you anything about my gaming taste? Hey, <laughs> I've been in a really big cyberpunk mood. Uh, I've been playing the, the Cyberpunk 2077 game um, because I, I played it for maybe a week when it came out and then just sort of gave up on it. But um, that's what I've been sinking my, my gaming time into lately. So, yay. Yay, cyberpunk. The world is fun. <laughs> so it sounds like you, you, you're you actually setting it up where you're kind of hitting that apex of where where technology and, and magic are kind of meeting. And this part of the story is the struggle between the two for dominance. Yeah. And and there was this sort of a, a thread in there that technology was, it, there was a hope that technology would be the sort of leveling factor. And then for, for like a minute, it was. And it kind of still is, but now you have the people who are taking advantage of that. Like, are these people who have lots of money and resources? So it's 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 like, is this going to level things out? Is this going to create, you know, uh, a flattening of the magical haves and have-nots, or is this just going to create another entire group of people with with uh, just as much power, but just in a different way? 
Yeah, that's like one of my favorite sort of favorite themes of cyberpunk is it's sort of this idea. I mean, it's kind of pushing back against like techno utopianism of like, oh, yeah, we'll just have our Star Trek future where just everything is great and everything's handled for them and there's no way that it could possibly go wrong. And then they're like, well, have you uh, met capitalism? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are you aware of capitalism (laughs) and the absolute greed of corporations? Yeah, one of the one of the things I hate most about capitalism is its ability to take literally anything that could possibly be good and somehow monetize it and make it <laughs> unsacred, right? Like just like yeah. make it crass and and awful. Like no matter what it is, even like rebellion, even punk, like even you know anything, it just takes it and goes, "Ooh, I could sell that," and then makes it makes it gross. Well, witness the OGL firestorm that just finally died down. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what could have been more awesome, right, than the OGL and, like, what it did, you know, the open gaming license for D&D and, like, what it did for gaming? It it flattened everything. It was awesome. We saw creativity from the margins. And then Wizards is like, oh, no, we have to fix that. <laughs> we can't let that continue to happen. There's more money to be made. Yeah, the term uh, the term that came out and everybody was was uttering around this whole thing, which is the thing that I heard a while ago now, but it's it terrified me as well, was Dungeons & Dragons is woefully under-monetized. That was the quote. Yeah. And everybody was from like... The, uh, from, the, from the people who were taking over, right? This, was it the CEO? It was one of the shareholders. Yeah, I, I don't know who exactly said it. It was definitely one of the bigger, like, one of the people that controls the money in that situation came in and was like, woefully yeah. under-monetized, and that is... And in capitalism, right? Like, that's... That, that and I'm from the government and here to help is two of the most terrifying yeah. statements I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, and under capitalism, like, that's that's just the default, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's it's not, not right, right and wrong don't even come into question, right? It's just yeah. like, is this making us enough money, you know, or as much money as it can? That's the only consideration. Yeah. Well, that's also encouraged. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. We could get into yeah. all that. And... We could. Subversion we could. does. I'll say That's that. good. I'm glad. <laughs> we those are the questions we're asking. Good. Definitely worth exploring, right? I mean, that's half of the the ethos of the cyberpunk genre in general is kind of that, you know, exploring how much is enough. Yeah. Yeah, uh, how much is enough uh technology, right? Like is it is it is it neutral, right? Or is it a a good to just keep pushing for new technologies? The unintended consequences of technology, who has power, who doesn't, what is everybody willing to do to, to get it? Right. Those are those are those are the questions that I think Cyberpunk does really well. And also in our modern world seems to be saying, we don't care. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll ignore the lessons of Cyberpunk as we as we barrel straight into our neuromancer future. Oh yeah. What was it? Paul Smith's been quoted as saying. This was meant as a warning, not an aspiration. <laughs> indeed. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's like the joke. It's like, uh, yes, I'm announcing the new uh, Torment device from the book. Please don't make the Torment device. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could we could we could do all we could do that all night. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I swear we could do that all night. It could be its own podcast of, hey, uh, how has the world become more cyberpunk uh, dystopian today and just start pointing to different things. Uh, yeah. 
But I, I think that's why I, like it's such a fun genre to play in is because it's not so far away or whatever. Like it's not quite the escapism genre, but it's a genre where you can play with things in the world and like have lots of fun with that. So. Yeah, the the pushing back, the the power fantasy here, right, is that you actually get to make a difference. Right. Right. <laughs> That's why you'd want to play subversion. So you could you could sort of ask the same questions that are relevant to our world, but make a difference in a big way. Okay. Now I know, you know, Opti, you definitely have a background with with Shadowrun. That's how I was initially introduced to you. You know, and you mentioned it being kind of a cyberpunk fantasy, which obviously Shadowrun is kind of the flagship of that genre, if you will. Sure. Are you guys doing multiple non-human races akin to Shadowrun, or are you off in your own little corner of make-believe reality? Uh, so, yeah, this is a, a complicated answer that I've been fielding probably at least three times a day for the last month. <laughs> hey, so is this like Shadowrun? Like, you know, are you, is Shadowrun going to sue you? The answer to to both of those is kind of, and no, we're not going to get sued. Um but yes, we do have fantasy races, uh, or we call them peoples, and they are similar to what you might find in Shadowrun, but that's more similar just because there's a handful of uh, fantasy species or, or races that are just sort of accepted, right? Like they're they're recognizable, which is why Shadowrun uses them and, and why they're sort of the default for fantasy games as well. So we have dwarfs, we have elves, we have orcs and humans, which, you know, Shadowrun does as well. Shadowrun has trolls, which we do not have. Um, and we have goblins, which Shadowrun traditionally does not have. And we also have uh, a species called Yetin, which are sort of big folk from all different kinds of cultures like uh, Sasquatch or Yeti, um, Bugbears, Almaslar, and Ogres which uh, in Neo-Babylon we've framed as basically uh, just hairless yetis or hairless Sasquatches. <laughs> and then we, this is kind of fun, and we could, we could talk about this a little bit. Unintentionally, we created a new Peoples just this last week. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were chatting, um, you know, in a, one of our playtests about, we have a bunch of peoples and species and things like that that are influenced by Babylonian myth. But not so many of them, um, at least in the core rulebook, made it to being a playable, a PC, you know, a species. So we thought, what what can we do to to fix that? And so one one of the new species that's going to be in the core book is called the Harmaku, which is a sort of um, a sort of take on a harpy. It's like a Babylonian harpy. Um, and if you've seen sort of carvings uh, or reliefs or pictures of Ishtar from ancient Babylon. She's depicted as having wings and clawed feet like a bird. So we took some inspiration from that and we've made the Harmaku. Just as a side, make sure you include, um, if you're going to Google Ishtar, just make sure you include uh, Babylon with it because you'll get the terrible 1987 movie. This is the first one. Terrible? Are you serious? I love that movie. <laughs> that movie is awesome. <laughs> Okay. And I'm not even being ironic. I really Fair. love that movie. Fair. <laughs> Everybody's allowed to like a movie, but I <laughs> I will say I am aware that not it was not panned. it was not well liked. <laughs> but, it's, it's... but Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty are amazing in that movie. <laughs> 
You know who else did really well in that movie? The Desert. Yes, indeed. I I don't know. I I it's one of those movies that just hit me really really well, and I okay. really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, I'm starting fully to feel aware that way of with, how of how cheesy it was, but yeah, I'm starting to feel that way with the new horror movie uh, Skinnamarink. Everybody is like, "Oh, this movie sucks," and I'm like, "I thought this movie was terrifying." <laughs> Anyways, um, anyway, go everybody go watch Ishtar. Oh yeah. Go, if you if you haven't watched Ishtar, you can't make an opinion about it until you've seen it. It has nothing to do with Ishtar from Babylon. No. <laughs> and if you really like it, you should play Neo uh, play Subversion. And if you don't like it, you should also play Subversion. Yes, so. yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I, Subversion, the game for people who do and don't like Ishtar. <laughs> there you go. There Put you that go. Quote There's on your, your new tagline. <laughs> I'm going to tweet that out right now. <laughs> Go for it. I'll, I'll open my Twitter and like it real quick. <laughs> um, so let's talk about your system. What what does the system look like that we're going to be running Subversion off of? I've talked a lot. I'm going to let Ryan field this one. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think that the boring place to start is the dice mechanic, which is the, um, but just to give a sense of how it plays is, so you have basically two components of the roll. The first is your uh, skill rating, which is how many dice you roll. Um, and then you have a bonus and the sort of trick of the system is that you keep the three highest dice you roll. Um, so as you basically get higher skills, uh, you're, this, the average goes up, though, in a sort of like nice mathematical way that doesn't just explode linearly into um, the sky or whatever. Um, and then also, if you keep three sixes, that's a critical success. So the more dice you have, uh, the more chance you have to have a critical success. Um, and then the, uh, basically everything revolves around uh, skill rolls of one way or another. So um, all the abilities and all the sort of things that you might want to do with the world um, has to do uh, with one of the sort of handful of uh, major skills that we have in the game um, that sort of break apart the sort of different things that might be important. So we have arts and humanity and science and ranged combat and melee combat and magic arts and cyber tech. Uh, and influence and deception, and I think I got them all. Um, but to kind of give a sense of like how broad they are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a uh, you said two d six system, three d six system. It is an x d six where x is your skill. Oh, so okay, okay. Probably in practice, up to sort of ninety six or whatever at the very high okay. end, but, and all then right. you keep the three highest for the roll. So sort of not to keep bringing you guys back to Shadowrun, but sort of keeping that huge dice pool feeling but lowering the complexity. A medium dice pool. So uh, not quite the, uh, you shoot a troll and they pick up their bucket of dice and roll all 40 of them right, and right. start hunting for fives and sixes. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I like that. I, I like a, um, I like the feeling of rolling a lot of dice, but I hate the complexity in ways. And so that sounds like it's sort of, uh, remove the complexity, not completely, but remove the complexity out of that and made it a lot more friendly to to the player. So that's cool. I'm excited. No, it sounds, yeah, like you said, it, it gives you some statistical meat, but not where you're adding up huge handfuls of dice and going, all right, you go, okay, those three are the biggest, what are those? Right. Yeah. It gives the most delightful probability curve. Yeah, it's, it's very beautiful. Oh, okay. good. Well, that's one of the things that's nice about pools is the curve so you can have that somewhat predictability of it yeah and there's sort of a, i mean it's a uh, fun thing in that it gives um 
like even in a way that like Shadowrun doesn't quite is that if you keep on adding more dice, like each dice kind of has diminishing returns. So like you don't want to necessarily invest too much on adding too many dice because like the odds are the next dice that you roll will probably be lower than the three dice you're keeping, but maybe not. So um, it's nice yeah, that but way. It, it, it does mean it does mean that if you are good at something, really good at something, then your chances of failing go way, way down. Your chances of failing catastrophically are next to nothing. And the f- and your chances of, of succeeding with flourish or succeeding very, very well go way up, right? It, it's what you would expect from, from having uh, a high skill or investing in a skill, as opposed to it always just being 1 in 20. Segue of what um, Opti's kind of alluding to is sort of the other part of the system. So it's you have a uh, target number that you're aiming for, um, and then if you uh, succeed, get above that target number, you succeed. If you get below that number, you fail, uh, as expected. And then if you get above it by 5, you get a dynamic success. So uh, usually that's on the order of like twice as effective. Um, And if you get 5 or so below it, you get a dynamic failure, which is where something horribly happens and then we talked about a little bit critical successes where if you keep all three sixes that's sort of three times as effective so you have sort of these um different levels of success depending on what you roll relative to the target number i really enjoy that granularity i i I, every every system i've i've played in that has that sort of granularity is so nice because it lets you sort of yeah i like that i i really i'm digging this system i i um I may have finally found the game that I can run for the people that have been begging me to run Shadow Run. <laughs> I keep telling them, no, I don't want to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, are there attributes that come into play or is it strictly skills? Yeah, so the, um, the main bonus that you get to your role are uh, the attributes. Um, and so there are six attributes, I think. Um, and like each each skill has one or more linked attributes, depending on its usage, that adds a bonus. Um, and then there are also various other um, miscellaneous bonuses that you can get from um, gears and abilities, um, in particular uh, paradigms, which maybe we'll touch on in a second, uh, are probably the main source of them. Um, And then we also have a couple uh, role keywords that kind of uh, affect things like that. So we have um, the main two are reliable and bold. So reliable is basically the lowest dice, or like all dice go up to a certain floor. So if you have like reliable two, that means all of your ones turn into two. If you have reliable three, all of your ones and twos turns into three. And then dold is the opposite, where you get one instance of dold, all your sixes turn to five. Two instances of dolds, all your sixes and five turn to four and so on and so forth um, and so the main way that you get doled is when you get uh, injured or otherwise get these uh, what we call consequences um, mm-hmm. that sort of limits your ability to um, get these sort of high rolls or critically succeed um, unless you spend grit to get around it which is another mechanic that we'll probably get to in a second that sounds cool I like the idea you know the way you've got that sort of tied in because that's the one thing and I mean we've all heard it for years that's criticized about a lot of systems is you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine as far as doing stuff, and then you're dead. Hmm. <laughs> you know, where you've you've built something into it where, or as Opti mentioned, and then you mentioned there with the reliable thing, where you can effectively raise the floor on your role, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it's something we've been sort of happy about how it's rolled out in playtests, and it's felt good. Yeah, the dice system itself is pretty flexible and allows us to do some some cool things. So I'm 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 definitely pleased with it. 
so, I mean, is this the, the big buzzword now is, is it narratively focused, which means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Right. But I mean, where does it fall in that, that spectrum? You know, is it designed to be role heavy or more narrative heavy and role when you need to? Well, if there's a spectrum from narrative to uh, traditional, right, we'll call it. Um, and traditional is lots of crunch and, and sort of everything happens by role. And narrative is you roll as little as possible to sort of get on with the story. Like if that's if that's the arbitrary spectrum that we set up. Role master fate. <laughs> yeah, sure. It is, it is, it is definitely more of a traditional game, right? In that you will be rolling dice and the mechanics will make a lot of what you do possible. And that's the main mechanic that you use to do things, you know, is the roll of rolling the dice and using your attributes. And um, especially when it comes to gaining new abilities and character advancement, right? That's where it's going to feel like the most traditional RPG, right? And that's that's what we liked about traditional RPGs. That's what sort of pushed the the dopamine button for us. Is right? like, oh, I like leveling up, or I like you know getting new abilities, or I like you know my character growing over time. What we've done though that makes me that makes me say, please don't say narrative when what you mean is you know less crunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is that we've incorporated lots of things that really focus the stories that you're telling on the character and their community. So it feels really weird to me to say it's not narrative, although we've already discussed what that means, because everything that happens in Subversion happens as a result of the character's motivations and the values that the community and the characters share and the relationships between them. And that all feels very, very narrative to me. But the way that things get done in the game is, you know, more traditionally focused. I think I've explained that well. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I... What I, I kind of add to that is, I mean, because I, I think that when people mean narrative, they mean different things. And I think one of them is sort of the, like what they actually mean is simplicity versus like crunch. Um, but I think there's sort of another axis of narrative, which is sort of like the narrative to like simulationist aspect, where it's like a narrative game is where you like do things because like you get bonus points for like doing something cool or like you spend points to make random coincidences happening or whatever. And the cr- simulationist is like, okay, here we are uh, uh, figuring out uh, Navier Stokes equations for exactly what happens when you drop the <laughs> fireball in this room or whatever. <laughs> um, and somewhere in, in between the spectrum. And I think that. That, um, like we have, uh, we're mostly sort of like, oh, like try and do things and do what makes sense or whatever. But we do have uh, various like narrative aspects of it, um, in particular with regards to um, grit, uh, which is sort of this meta currency that we have uh, for all the characters. And so grit, uh, we kind of define as this sort of like stick to itness or the like ability, sort of the undefinable ability to do exceptional things. Um, and there are a number of ways that you can spend grit and they sort of, it helps you sort of, you can use it to sort of like stay up, like after you would sort of normally be knocked out or to do sort of exceptional things or get bonuses on rolls. Um, and then you get, uh, you get your grit back by doing sort of, I think more narrative things. So you get grit when you're like staying true to your values or if you indulge in your character's impulses. So 
every character has sort of something that's slightly destructive that they sometimes do when uh, things are tough and those are called impulses and so you get grit back for that uh, and so we're trying to encourage people to tell good stories uh, by giving them grit um, and that's so that's, I think, would be something more traditionally associated with a narrative game. So we do have that aspect um, as well. Okay. No, I do love, I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me, though, until you brought up the kind of uh, simulationist narrative access, access, if you want to call it that. And, and that, I think, was more what I was going for than literal crunch. But it sounds like you're, you're kind of hitting that, that sweet spot where it, it still feels like a traditional game, but story and narrative is extremely important. Yeah, we we refuse to um, to play by the rules that says you know you can only ha- you know uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Well, we we push back. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. Mm. <laughs> and honestly, like I kind of feel like that's where there's a little bit of a cat. Where I feel like the sort of like hard or hard narrative games but like the the very narrative games um i think that there are a lot of like really great systems that have come out in the last five ten years or whatever that are very narrative um and i think if that's all we wanted to play um we maybe wouldn't have felt the need to make subversion but i think we wanted something a little bit more in depth and scratch scratched uh, some yeah. of that need that we feel yeah and and to that point right if if we could have told the stories that we wanted to tell with subversion with Dungeon Dragons 5e or with Shadowrun or whatever, we would have done that. But there just wasn't a system that we felt was hitting the sweet spot at all those places. And 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 arrogantly, we we looked to the gods and shook our fist and says, "We'll do it ourselves." I don't think that's I I I, I don't think that's arrogantly. I I, I it, it really understand. isn't. Creatives yeah. are going to be creative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it sounds like you've come up. You know, you and in the team with you is come up with a really awesome well balanced game and and i i'm very excited to see this on a table because every everything you guys keep saying about is like making me more and more like shaking my fist at you that you didn't bring a copy of this for me (laughs) (laughs) i am so excited we do have a a playtest copy if you if you want it yeah i'll be taking that I'll be taking that. No, I'm very <laughs> that's a, excited something to uh... like yeah. <laughs> Speaking of playtests, uh, I mean, I think that's another part of like what we're sort of excited about, like how to do this right. Is it something that we've like really want this to be a good game because it's something we're excited about, and we want to make sure that it goes through as much playtesting as possible, and people get to see it. And we've had a lot of playtesters so far, and we've taken feedback from them to make it better. And our goal is to just keep on making it better and try and be um, as open and open to feedback as possible and we hope that that will make the best game possible i i think it does uh, uh history has proven that you know well play tested games are are typically uh well made as long as you're open to the criticism it's it always comes out well and yeah i uh, i was gonna say one thing uh you kind of hit it on it a little bit in talking here that i'm curious about is you keep mentioning community and i'm kind of curious how that ties into because Traditionally, RPGs are this little band of misfits that run around and do who knows what, get up to all sorts of no good. And sometimes they are legitimately interested in benefiting some circle larger than their own, but oftentimes they are rather self-serving. And so I'm kind of curious 
you know, I keep hearing this as a theme. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how that's kind of incorporated. Uh, yeah, so um, I can start. So the community, um, in addition to kind of being a theme, um, it's actually one of it's also one of the major mechanics in Subversion. And so uh, before everyone makes their players, everyone kind of communally gets together and sort of stats out a community. And there's uh, various rules for the benefits that they get. So it's like what resources are available to your community that you can call upon to use better, um, like to use possibly in your adventure, like who are important people in the community who might also be able to help you out, what are the values of your community, and if you go along with those values, you get benefits, and if you go against them, things can start getting dicey, and there's lots of great stories to be had from that. Um, and so we kind of imagined the community as being kind of like an additional character uh, in the background for all of these games. And uh, it's very open what the community is. It could be like a, literally like a neighborhood or something, or it could be a movement or like a you could do a mercenary band or something like that, or a group of explorers, like an expedition company or a like a university department. I mean, whatever you want, you can do. But just sort of thinking about like where are the characters situated um, and what sort of the milieu that they're uh, in. Now I want to I want to do a subversion game where we're just college professors. Uh, <laughs> no combat, just <laughs> just like how are we how are we going to convince the uh, the higher ups to give us all tenure? Because that feels just as fantastical nowadays as you know as defeating <laughs> a, a corporation. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, Steve, but I'm just going to say this real quick. I love that. Um, oh, no, no. I love that uh, uh, a group um, world building where you have your players participating in building the world for this for the game. And I, I, I yeah, that's one of my favorite things when systems and games have that built into it and encourages players to be part of the world building. I feel like it brings the players in farther because they feel like they had a say in it and it sounds like you guys are really hitting that with the community aspect where you're asking the players hey can you tell me a little bit about this community that you you're part of or tell me a little bit more about who's you know what we're working with here i really really like that yeah that's it's actually been one of our favorite parts as we've gone through the play testing a number of times with this i think i've done world building with three or four different communities so far and I I just enjoy that bit of it so much where, you know, I mean, like you're <clears throat> the, 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 the community develops in such different and odd ways when you have more than, you know, just you making it right. Like people are bringing in their own ideas, which just takes it in directions you cannot imagine where it's going to go. Yeah. And as you build together, like, you know, ideas are popping off each other, like who would be in this, you know. You know, what kind of people would be in this, you know, in this uh, community or or who would be, you know, supporting the, the team and, and what are their dramatic relationships like? Yeah, creativity just pops in those early sessions and it's something fun to behold. Well, and it opens up a lot of freedom for um, it opens up a lot of freedom for the 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 storyteller, the GM, however you want to whatever you want to call them, that that gives you heartstrings to pull on that gives you. A narrative weight because your players have invested into those, you know, non-player characters. Yeah, like I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, I'll give you one example. Um, by the time this goes live, there will be a 
an actual play live on YouTube. Clockwork Tuba and uh, and his YouTube channel have done an actual play uh, of Subversion. And their character creation or their community creation was so fun to listen to. They ended up making, uh, small spoiler, but they ended up making a community out of a nomadic convoy that basically has a front of which they're, they're food trucks. But when you order certain secret things off the menu, um, that's indicating that you're, you're in trouble and you need help. So they're like a food truck convoy a team and that's their whole community and i was like that's so badass that is <laughs> that, that is, is awesome. awesome i love that yeah yeah wow if you yeah. can find them right and, and, and yeah. if you can order correctly then maybe they can help it's, it's just i love <laughs> yeah it. it's like um it's like the secret code at, at some bars you know the like angel shot stuff and yeah, exactly. They they brought that up and say, like, hey, what if it was like, you know, what if you ordered an angel shot, right? Like, what if you ordered like, you know, extra habanero, you know, pickle relish or whatever? And it's like, nice. oh, you must be in trouble. So extra yeah, habanero. I, I just, That's the kidnapping special. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we got a kidnapping over here. And I, oh. I just love the idea of like people in food trucks snapping into action to to save people from being kidnapped. Like that's but I just imagine like, B.A. Baracus in a hairnet. That's all I, that's right. all that went through my head. <laughs> I pity the fool that doesn't respect people's boundaries. Yeah. You know, oh, I was watching some. And as fun as that day, show but... is, I recently watched the pilot because it's on, I think, Roku. Oh. How that show ever got put into production, I <laughs> do not understand. Oh, now I have something to go chase down after this. Because. It's just, I mean, look, it's the A-team, it's cheesy 80s, whatever, but oh my gosh. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, but like but the amount that the A-team has influenced how I play Shadowrun or how I play other cyberpunk or hooding games, like, like it, I love the idea, right, that you can just travel around doing good. Oh, completely. And, and, and like I said, I, look, I like the show, but to watch the pilot, it's just like, oh my goodness, this is wow. <laughs> yeah. So, any other important things you want to say about the game, or you know, any anything that you haven't quite portrayed across yet that you feel is important for the people to know? Uh, we did. We haven't talked about paradigms. I don't think, and paradigms are sort of the way your character advances in in nuanced ways. So like you can add to your skill in doing X, Y, or Z, right? You can become a better, you know, sword master or puncher or spellcaster or whatever. Um, but there's there's other ways that you can advance as well. And you do that by taking, by investing in paradigms. And paradigms are sort of thematic clusters of abilities that will make your character feel unique. So if you have two people or three people who all say, hey, we want to play the best um, the best sharpshooters, right, in Subversion. Like, we're going to be this trio of gunslingers. You can totally do that. And each of them can feel very, very different in play and in theme if they take different paradigm abilities, right? So if they all have you know, five skill ranks in ranged combat and they all use the same pistols, they will still all feel very different 
if they choose different paradigm abilities that affect the way that they shoot the the pistol, right? So we have paradigms for the different uh, mage colleges. We have paradigms for the different sublime abilities for crime, for military service, for art. Paradigms are just sort of the the flavor and the the uniqueness that goes on each character. And that's sort of, they're almost like mini classes, sort of just if you just strip out everything but the the class abilities and you sort of condense them down, you know, so you can multi-class as much as you want. That's what paradigms are. That's pretty, I've been pretty happy with the way that that's created characters so far. Yeah, and the sort of the idea of sort of you can sort of dip into any for as little as you want. Um, And then there are also some abilities and paradigms that like have prerequisites or some trees. So if you want to go up a little bit tall and become like particularly good at being a scoundrel or whatever and have all the sneaky, stealthy stealing skills or whatever and abilities, then you can invest a lot in them or you can just be a little bit of a scoundrel. Okay, so it sounds like, and I, I this is a question I always like to ask, it sounds like it's more of a, let's call it an XP spend advancement system as opposed to a traditional level system? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I much prefer those. You can build up basically any way you want to, which, I mean, in, in some of the playtests we've done, this has been like the worst part of the playtest, and I say worst in quotes, but you can make characters however you want, even characters that are not super great. <laughs> right. So if you if you want your character and I say that with with quotes, because the early characters, early times I've tried this, I had one character who I just focused on doing art. Right. Like that was it. Like they wasn't like you couldn't, you know, shoot anything. You couldn't, you know, punch anything, couldn't swing a sword, just absolute garbage in combat. Couldn't talk anybody down. All he was good at was doing art. And I wanted to say, could I make this character and could it be fun? And in the early play tests, the answer was no. But we're in a good place now, I think, where if you wanted to, you could absolutely make a character that has a focus only on art. I just make things. I'm a good cook. And you would still be able to find a fun way to play that character with the rest of the group. Steve, this is definitely your game. Yeah, it is my game. That sounds like a... a, (laughs) I'm known, like, I've, I've become known for making characters that Say they do one thing, but do not do that thing very well at all. Wonderful NPCs as your player character. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really good at it. I, I made a, a, a Ripper doc in Cyberpunk that uh, really should not have been a player character. Well, okay, so so that's that's an interesting thing that you bring up because Cyberpunk, I think, does this to one extent or another, right? Where <laughs> it has... Uh, archetypes that if you choose to play them don't quite feel as as special or good as the rest of them right like yeah like johnny silver like i was playing cyberpunk johnny silverhand has this contact that's a media dude and like literally all the media dude did was just walk around videotaping while everybody else is doing cool shit mm-hmm. and and like nothing like what do you like right so i feel like if you're going to include those archetypes if you're going to include people that don't traditionally fit the adventuring mold, you have to make it worth it, right? You have to give them abilities that are commensurate with, you know, um, shooting fireballs out of your ass or, you know, having a a cyber hand that turns into a sword. Like you have to give them something that is fun to play, something that they can hang their head on and, and not just, you know, yeah, sure. Be 
the video camera guy (laughs) (laughs) or be the rock and roll dude. Like, like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, but what do you do when you're not playing rock and roll? Like, that's what the game's probably going to be about. Right. The rock and roll part only really was going to be like something that you do for maybe 15 minutes in game. What do you do with the rest of it? Or maybe it's not. Maybe the DM uh, makes that part of the game where you. Yeah. It's it is important that you put on a good concert and you get mechanical <laughs> benefits and the plot advances if the concert's good and things go if things go awry you have to deal with the consequences. And... I feel like it's all about how the player reacts to. Okay, we're not playing music right now. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> and and I think it's a. Not that I'm saying it's a skill thing, but I think it's a it's a player mindset idea that you have to. What does this character look like outside of doing their specific job? Yeah, I'm just I'm I just have a particular knack for making characters that either say their one thing and do another, or like Steve said, are are NPCs that should just be NPCs. I played. Uh, um, a corp that thought he was a solo. I played a ripper doc that should have just been an NPC. I've played a barbarian who wasn't very good at hitting things. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 see, I play those characters that are like, what? Why did you make this? I don't know. Cause yeah. I thought it'd be fun. And it is fun. You're laughing. <laughs> like, yeah, those characters see like, and I, I think that's, that's why we kept tuning the, the character creation and the, and the paradigms and subversion so much so that if you decide Right in your session zero, which also why having this conversation in session zero is important. Right? If you decide that this is going to be not a combat focused game, right? If if we're going to really lean into not every time that we get together is going to focus on hitting things or who we defeat, then you can make a character that's not optimal, right? For for hitting things or killing things or whatever, and you could still have an awful lot of fun with it. I think in some in some games, and I'm not, not slagging these, right? It's just important to know, you know, to, the ex- player expectations are a big deal. But if your players expect that you're going to basically move room to room and just slay monsters all day, and you've got like all of these sort of narrative hooks out there where like your players get together and go to, you know, um, 7-Eleven and chat and like, you know, visit their relatives, like that's, that's a big mismatch, right? Mm-hmm. But I think if you're all on the same page and you say, hey, we want, the non-combat or the non-mission focused things to be just as important. Subversion gives you so many options for that, right? Like we really lean into if this is your jam, right? If if meeting new people in your community and having relationships with them and those relationships being important and also dealing with, you know, uh, the stresses of life and and how you deal with that, whether it's in a healthy way or a non-healthy way, or whether or not, you know, your your community gets a new library, you know, in time for, you know, the, the kids to graduate. Like, if that stuff turns you on as much as, you know, uh, I break in, you know, and steal this MacGuffin, then Subversion is absolutely for you. Very, very cool. So, because of the miracle of time that is podcasting, we're recording this, oh, what are we about? two weeks out from when you'll actually be launching the Kickstarter, but when people get to hear it, it will be going live that day. Nice. So do you have any details that you can drop about what people can expect to find in the Kickstarter, or are you still finalizing a lot of that? Uh, we are still finalizing it, but we are, we are, I can give you just about anything that, that, uh, yeah, it's almost finalized. I guess it should say, I'll just say it's finalized now. 
<laughs> By the time you're hearing this, it's final. <laughs> We're not changing a thing. Um, but yeah, what you can expect is basically the the game itself. The the basic pledge is going to be sixty dollars for a two hundred and fifty plus page hardback book, which I which I hope is going to be used as a a core rulebook and a reference, you know, moving forward because we have all sorts of plans to uh, drop all sorts of supplement, you know, stuff and adventures, and uh, we hope to support this. This is the one where we're really staking our claim with and and supporting as much as we possibly can, you know, over the next couple of years. Uh, but there will be PDF tier as well. Uh, I think that's twenty five dollars. And early bird folks will get a big ass map of the continent of Azor, where Neo Babylon is. It's a twenty four by thirty six poster map, which is pretty awesome. Uh, we all enjoyed it. So yeah, that's that's what you can expect. Um, there's all sorts of other cool tiers as well. I think there's a tier around $100, which uh, will give you assets on Roll20. Like we're going to put all this on Roll20, uh, you know, for the, 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 core, the core stuff and all of the adventure stuff and all of the avatar type stuff will be on Roll20 when, it, when uh, the game ends up being fulfilled. So you get that tier as well. And there's a couple of other cool, like special stuff that uh, near the high end, like play games with the devs or have your own, uh, NPC, create your own NPC for insertion in the world or create your own faction, you know, all that kind of stuff uh, at the higher end as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask about, you know, VTT support too, because obviously it's an original system. Uh, you already touched on that. Yeah. Roll 20 and Obsidian Portal are the ones that we're supporting at launch. But one of my very good friends is also working with an Icelandic company that uh, is launching soon. So we'll, we'll be able to have support for them as well. But yeah, that's absolutely on our radar. And we already have a very nice support from the amazing Discord dice bot, Exploding Dice. So That is true. Did notice that over on your server. One, one, of, the, one of the features of the dice bot that gets the most use is uh, you can actually plug in the origin and lineage of your character and it'll spit out a number of names for you. So a name generator. <laughs> half the half the dice rolling bot on our Discord is just people rolling names over and over and over and over again. <laughs> That's cool though. All right. So um any further final thoughts? Anything you all would like to plug, etc.? Uh I would like no, let's just keep it focused on subversion. Plug play subversion. That's it. Play subversion. <laughs> yeah, come to the Fug Discord, say hi, ask questions if you have questions there. We're all friendly. Throw an invite link in, in the show notes for that. And if I can't make it myself, I'll bug Opti until he gives me one. <laughs> yep, I will do it. I'll do it right now. All right. Well, then I guess with that, let's do uh, our, our uh, game of the week. Game of the week. Woohoo! All right, so uh, I, I briefed both of you on, on what this exactly, well, there is no real exactly, I suppose, but what it is. And um, if you'd like, one of us could go first to kind of give you a feel for it, and then we can just sort of roll from there. Yeah, why don't we make it a Steve sandwich, where okay. one of you goes first and then one of you goes last. All right. All right. Uh, do you mind if I go first, Steve? Absolutely not. Go ahead. All right. I have a game that is either... It's a dice pool game that is is either with a GM or without a GM. And and all you need 
is either a tarot card deck or a copy of Dracula by Bram Stoker or Bram, really? Bram Stoker. And it is called Oops All Draculas. <laughs> and it is you choose your Dracula archetype and then you play a game based around that particular Dracula archetype. So do you want the aristocrat, the innocuous one, Nosferatu, the sentimentalist? Um, this one's just techno, <laughs> um, which I, I read is like a, a blade type game. Uh, and this is by Jessica Markham or uh, Markram. Sorry, I can't read today. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's four dollars and 80 cents. It's currently on sale on drive through because of their games we love or we love games sale. By the time you hear this, that'll probably be over, but it's regular $7. So not not a lot of money to invest into a game that is Oops All Draculas. And, <laughs> that sounds and fun. It, it, it sounds like a lot of fun. I have a friend who's become recently obsessed with the, the, the 90s uh, vampire craze. And I think I just sent this over to her. She'll really enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, that's that's my game of the week. Oops, all Draculas. I that think I awesome. might know this person on Discord, actually. Oh, yeah? I might. Huh. I'll have to check on some things. But You check on some things, because they have some games that are interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go next. There is a, a game that's on Kickstarter right now. I By the time, let's see. It has 13 days to go to go. So actually it will have just ended <laughs> by the time uh, this this airs. So this could be I could be pushing a, a Kickstarter that didn't make it. But um, but I'm going to get you excited about it anyway. This is a Kickstarter that's going on right now as we speak called Zephyr. And the tagline is an anarchist role playing game of fleeting identities. Um, you travel across the wandering sentient landmass of Ofoy on a strange journey to fulfill sacred obligations and find your way back home. Uh, and, and it's the art for this is so compelling. It's uh, it, it's, it says anarchist, right? And so what you think of is like, you know, punks with Mohawks throwing Molotov cocktails or whatever, but what you're actually getting is a bunch of sort of creatures that look like they're made of wood. And, and it's just like cute little woodland wooden tree people that are going on this uh, journey. And as they do things and as they encounter things, they unlock uh, certain abilities on their character sheet. And it looks so cute and so much fun, but also the themes, you know, are of, of obligation and, you know, debt in this anarchistic, you know, fantasy world. I just can't, I can't imagine, I, I would never have made this game. I would never have imagined this game but no, the, this, the, yeah. the way okay. that they put it together and the the way uh, and how beautiful it looks and the stories they look to tell, I am absolutely fascinated. So, so yeah, that's a link for this because I either can't spell Here, or can't find I'll, it. I'll, I'll get you, Steve. I got There's you. A, okay, you got it? Yeah, I'll throw it up in the green room. But yeah, it just, it just it's so beautiful. Uh, anytime you throw anarchist in there and you're not playing into the tropes, right? Like you, you've thought deeply about what it means to be an anarchist or, you know, somebody who's um, sort of trying a different way other than, uh, you know, capitalism or trying a different way, you know, beyond, 
monarchy or the traditional democracy that we were part of. Anytime somebody's trying and thinking uh, about those things, but also painting it in with a story and and a beautiful palette of art, I, I, that I, I am just so overwhelmed by this game that I never would have made, I never would have thought of, but I I really really hope that does well. Yeah. Oh yeah, this does look cool. It's I. Uh... I'm mad at you because I didn't know this existed. Yeah, well, please support it, right? Because right yeah, now it's, it's, it's not, it's not, not quite there. It hasn't Let made me, its goal. Yeah, I'm gonna um actually as we yeah speak. and and post about it. Tell everybody to, to post it because it looks amazing. I really, really want this book to succeed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just I gonna throw this, this up on my shelf. Our, our Discord real quick. The art is really pretty too. That they've got. Yeah, like it's very unique, but I like it. Yeah, it is. It's it's not traditional in any way. And it, but it's beautiful. Like there's art on every single page. And I'm just thinking like, man, I think the artist is actually the one doing it, which I think is the only way you could really make this kind of game. <laughs> if you're not like a, you know, a big, a big uh, company already. Okay. But this person I think is out of, out of the UK or no, it looks like Japan. So Argent, from Argentina. Oh, interesting. Cause it, okay. I'm getting conflicting things from looking at all the different things. Yeah. It says, well, it says, uh, Fukokoshi, Japan, and I see in UK and in Argentina. So maybe they're a team of of multinational amazing people. I believe Argentina is one of those countries where you can't use Kickstarter from. Ah, so maybe they're sort of coming at this in a smart way. Well, they could way. have been from there originally <clears throat> and moved yeah. on. Yeah. Any number of at any rate, that's that's my that's my my push. I hope this succeeds. Yeah, that very cool. really cool. That's that is so awesome. I I uh yeah, man, I hope that doesn't fail. Awesome. Yeah, so I think I'm going to be uh more boring as I just look up at my uh shelf of RPGs and pick a game that I'm sure that all of you have played uh because it will make you happy and happiness is mandatory. And I'm <laughs> of course uh referring to the game Lovingly Crafted by the Infinitely Wise Friend Computer Paranoia. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's a game where you're of all play citizens, none of which are a traitor. You all are. Uh, in a fantastic world completely devoid of mutants. You all are. And you uh, go through a completely Kafka-esque world where the computer who is crazy but also your friend and loves you very much but also kills you all the time. Um, it's like, uh, and you try and do things that are frequently impossible because it is uh, against the rules to, for example, touch things that are the color blue. Um, and uh, all sorts of other fun shenanigans. So it is just a very fun, light uh, game that is uh, always lots of fun to play when you're in the mood for something of that sort of genre. I've never gotten to play it, but I really want to. Ah, love me some paranoia. I've read it so many times, and yeah, I'm, I'm in the boat with Steve. I've never got to play it. I think there's a new edition in the works again. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. I think you're just being paranoid. But that's possible. I mean, the question is, well, will it be printed in the correct red, white, and black? Uh, that is the only thing that you're allowed to actually look at. <laughs> I've enjoyed every time I've played Paranoia. It's been very stressful, like fun <laughs> stress. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's kept me avoiding from playing Paranoia recently is I, I'm playing games to escape stress. <laughs> <laughs> I get that it's a fun stress, but every time I look at paranoia, I, I want to be like, 
I would like to be in a better headspace to play this because I could see myself being really, really just, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> a bad time. I somewhere have like a scan of the old Cyberpunk 2020 Paranoia crossover Alice in Mirror Shades. I did not know that existed. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. But, uh, well, last but not least. Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm going with something that I just found while I was scrolling through today. No. And it looks interesting. And the best part is, at least they're claiming it um, purchases support humanitarian aid in Ukraine, oh. which, based on my limited etymological skills, the author's name appears to be of origins in that vicinity. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's a game called The Dream Surfers. And um, it, PDF goes for all the three bucks. Here, I'll give you guys a link. And it, it appears to be this kind of little rules light D6 system, 35 pages, kind of this weird post-apocalyptic fantasy cyberpunk thing. Um, it, it says, immerse yourself in a world of dreams and bend the laws of this world to your will. Become the blacksmith of your own destiny or an indefinite, eh, indefinite observer a new wondrous world where magic and technology are intertwined in an explosive mix of fantasy, cyberpunk, and post-apocalyptic genres. Um, says, you know, magic, psionics, implants, mutations, you know, looks fairly basic, but at the same point, sometimes those are fun to just throw on the table and, and kind of communally just yeah. see what you come up with. Yeah. Like a, like a Thundar or He-Man level of magic tech. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and the, the art kind of, Post-apocalyptic He-Man is what I'm, is the vibe I'm getting for this. <laughs> yeah. What was but, like, that? Like you got uh, that weird sort of biomechanical skeletal arm on the one piece. Yeah. Wasn't there a post-apocalyptic He-Man story? Was there? I don't know. Are they all post-apocalyptic? Is that what He-Man is? It's just never been. To... <laughs> there was a. Um, hmm. Well, yeah. Technically, the some of the back some depending on who you ask the backstory on He-Man, some of that was. That it's all post-apocalyptic, but I want to say there was a, um, I'll say maybe mid two thousands He-Man adaptation that was leaned into that sort of wasteland idea. But no, that's awesome. I would be so down to play that. I, I'm, I like the idea of post-apocalyptic weirdness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it also has like a dream sort of theme as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I figure for three bucks. It's probably good for inspiration, if nothing else. So, uh, all right, that's mine. So, um, guess at this point, you know, I'd look, thank both of you for coming on the show to tell us about this, because this sounds incredibly cool and sounds like yet another game system that I'm going to have to buy. That's what we like to hear. Thanks for, <laughs> thank you so much for having us on, guys. Oh, yeah, no problem. 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 thank you for coming on. This was Ryan's first interview about subversion. Hey. Good job. <laughs> all right. First, first interview representing Fug. We're awesome. We're proud. He's all grown up. <laughs> Brings a tear to the eye. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find all things Fragging Unicorn? I know you've got assorted media. Yeah, we can. You can go to fraggingunicorns.com for uh, all of the sort of uh, overview goodness. You can buy our stuff there, including Misspent Youth. Uh, Fall in Love, Not in Line, the previous Misspent Youth games, uh, as well as Gangs of the Undercity and all of our various miniatures. Uh, and then also for the Kickstarter, which should be live right now, you can go to kickstarter.com slash project slash fragging unicorn slash 
subversion or just use your Google skills to find it and and support us. We'd appreciate it. All yeah. right. Thank you so much for coming on. And with all that being said, we want to remind everyone to get out there and play some RPGs and be kind to one another. Indeed. Thanks, Steves. Thank you. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.